What's up, everybody? This is Ethan. And this is Christian. And this is the Breezy Bird Podcast. So 2022 was the year of the Breezy Bird Podcast, the first ever year of the Breezy Bird Podcast. But in 2023, we're hitting grand slams out of the park. And what we're doing is we're getting guests that are just going to keep elevating the show. And one of those guests is Russ Kanzler, who will be on the show today. So we cannot wait for you guys to hear this interview. Welcome to the Breezy Bird Podcast, the best podcast in the Valley. Christian. Ethan. How are you doing today? Dude, I'm doing great. This is a huge podcast. Another huge podcast. I know. We, we've been really pumping out the huge podcast ideas. And today we have a huge, huge, and if you would say major league level podcast idea. We do. We do. And today we got the opportunity to interview Russ Kanzler. And Russ, how are you doing today? Doing great, guys. How about yourselves? We're doing good, man. We appreciate you coming on to the pod and uh, giving us a chance to ask you some questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, appreciate you guys thinking about me. Looking forward to it. Of course. So for those of you guys who do not know who Russ Kanzler is, Russ Kanzler grew up, you know, in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Was I right? Or was That's it right. Berwick? Yeah, Hazleton. Yeah, I was born in Berwick, but, uh, but, but lived in the Hazleton area my whole life. Yeah, so, and from there, you know, you started playing baseball and ended up making it to the major league. So we just had some questions regarding, you know, the whole process of getting drafted and your playing career and now your coaching career. So, you know, we'll be getting into all those sorts of questions as we go on. But first and foremost, what was it like growing up and playing baseball? What was your background? When did you start playing? Different yeah, questions. yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's weird because I didn't come from a baseball family in any sense. My dad, ironically, was a football player. Uh, he he didn't even really play much baseball. I don't know what it was. I mean, I can remember watching games on TV when I was a kid and, and then just going in my yard and throwing a ball up to myself and, and fell in love with the game. Uh, so I played it from a young age and and uh, that passion kind of grew as, as I got older and it got more and more serious for me. And and then, you know, when I was probably in Little League was when, at least for me, I made the decision that I was going to play professional baseball. And that was something that I that I wanted to pursue. So, um, you know, I was very fortunate in my whole life to have a great support system with my family and, and, and the coaches that were uh, with me along the way to just kind of hold me accountable to those goals. So, uh, no, I was really fortunate in that respect to have those opportunities growing up that's awesome that's awesome so what was the point for you when you're like like I could actually make it like into the major leagues when you started like I'm getting recognized in the sport yeah so you know I, I when you're young it's tough because you have so many different emotions and and you're trying to compare yourself to kids in your age group or maybe kids that are a little bit older but for me, um, I believe I was in my ninth to 10th grade summer in high school, and I was invited to a national event in Joplin, Missouri that was hosted by USA Baseball. And uh, the alumni list in that event, I mean, so many major leaguers have come through that event. Uh, so it was really the, the best players um, in high school at, at that time. And I went there and I didn't do great, but I held my own. Um, I was really nervous going into it because it was really the first time that I had seen the caliber of competition. You know, typically in our area, at least the time in Pennsylvania, I mean, if a guy was throwing 85, that was like Nolan Ryan. You didn't see yeah. it in yeah. the 90s, you know. So when I first, um, when, I, when I got down to Joplin, that was the first time I saw 90, 95. And I did a lot better than I thought. And I thought, man, I could, I could, I could hang with these guys. You know, if, if I saw this on a day in day out basis, I, I, I think I can do it. So that's when I really started to shift my mindset a little bit into 
uh, wishing into knowing that I, I that there was an opportunity for me to get to the next level. And then from that event, um, that's when I started getting contacted by some college programs some division one college programs, uh, went on the recruiting trail a little bit. And then, uh, then the MLB scouts were, were right behind. And I know that's crazy because like you said, like many, many kids, they have that dream of going to the MLB. They have that dream of, you know, playing baseball their whole life, but was there ever a you know, doubts because of the area that you were from, because you see most kids and they're getting drafted from Florida yeah. to California and, you know, you're from Hazleton. Yeah, <laughs> so right. was there ever sort of a doubt just based on location? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, at the time, and again, it's changed now. I think kids today from our area are are way more polished than than we were coming up. I think we've always had the athletes in the Northeast, but, but we were raw. We just, we didn't get you know, there wasn't indoor facilities, there wasn't summer and, and fall travel baseball, you basically played in the spring, uh, you, you hope to get a decent summer season. And then I moved into basketball in the fall and started getting ready for basketball season. So, um, you know, I think the the bat speed was there, you know, I was I was a good athlete from that standpoint, but I was really raw. So yeah, there was doubts from from that respect. And then when I got drafted and I got into professional baseball, that's where it really kind of came to a head. Cause I was like, man, these guys are way ahead of me. So I had to play catch up. You know what I mean? I, and I just committed to baseball 12 months out of the year and, and tried to work, work my tail off to, to catch up to those guys that had just, you know, from the warm weather States that had just gotten more reps than me. Yeah. I hear and I saw that, you know, you mentioned that you got drafted up out of high school, but you were talking a little bit about colleges as well. So was there, what was that decision process like about choosing to get drafted out of high school or deciding to go play college baseball and seeing if, you know, you could polish your game up a little bit more and then jumping in that way? That's a good question. So, you know, I really enjoyed the recruiting process and one programs. So I ended up committing to the University of Richmond in the Atlantic 10 conference. Uh, for me, that was, um, you know, that was a great opportunity for me to play as a freshman. And I really liked the campus and I liked the coaching staff. Um, but even through that in the back of my mind, I, I thought, man, if I have the opportunity to play professional baseball, I'm probably going to take it. You know, I, I just thought anything could happen. You know, you get to college and God forbid, you, you know, you have an injury or, or maybe you just don't pan out the way you thought. Um, you don't know how many times that door is going to be open. So, you know, and I was a late draft pick. I was actually a 30th round pick. Um, and my parents kind of thought I was crazy, but I was like, I'm going, you know, and, and thank goodness they, they, you know, they were with me through the decision process, but they're like, listen, this is your decision. And if you, if this is what you're going to do, you know, we support you. Uh, so, so yeah, so I felt like, you know, go for it. And, and, you know, even a little bit of a competitive chip on my shoulder, I was like, all right, they think I'm a 30th rounder. I'm going to show them that I could, that I could hang, you know? So that was my, my, my thought process there. That's awesome. Is there any positions as you got older that you kind of fell in love with like playing? Yeah. So, you know, I was a shortstop my whole life, which I think everyone, you know, has the, I was the shortstop story at some <laughs> point, you know? Um, and then, it, you know, I, I didn't have the range or, or really the foot speed, the agility for, for that position at, at the pro level. Uh, so I was drafted as a third baseman and then uh, I could hit, that was my strength. You know, that was really what kept me around and kept presenting opportunities in professional baseball so it seems like every every couple of years they're like, let's try first base, uh, <laughs> let's, let's try third again, let's try left. There was one year when I was with the Cubs where they had me, you know, they basically put me through like a catching boot camp, and I had never caught at all. So I played second. I mean, 
Um, so my thought was like, you know, I'll play as many positions as I can, as long as, you, you know, my bat stays in the lineup. So I try to encourage players now as a coach to, to just don't get, you know, pigeonholed into one position because you never know where an opportunity is going to present itself. I mean, you might be a freshman in high school and there's a senior shortstop, but you're a good player. Like if, as a coach, if I could look at you and you can play a reliable left field, man, great. You know, I want to get you in the lineup somehow. So it's just another feather in your cap as a player to try to, to try and play as many positions as possible. And I know, you know, I, I've been, I've been in love with baseball my whole life, but you know, I know there's a balance between being versatile, but also feeling comfortable. I know in the major leagues, right. there's plenty of players who, like you said, they have the bat, but they don't really know where to put them. And then yeah. you're trying to know, you know, put a player at a position that they may not be comfortable in. And then as a result of them really trying to focus on a position that they aren't comfortable with, their bat starts to suffer a little bit. Sure. So how did, how did you really try to keep your bat as your strength while you were still trying out these other positions? I think you just said it. I think focusing on your strength. I mean, I, I, I knew I got to a certain point where I knew I was always going to be just an average defender and I needed to be dependable from the sense that the plays that I was supposed to make, I, ma I made, you know, so there was, there was a lot of time, you know, making sure in my pregame routine where I ran to the outfield and took fly balls off the bat to touch that up. You know, and then I made sure I ran back to the infield and got ground balls. So if I was there that day, you know, I was ready. But I really just honed in on hitting because I felt like that was my value. That was my strength. Instead of trying to, you know, make me a slightly above average defender, I would rather have been an exceptional hitter. And, you know, organizations kind of knew what they had with me. And, and that kept presenting opportunities that way. So, you know, it's not so much you, you neglect the defensive side of things. But I was just like, man, I'm going to be such a good hitter that they're not going to have a choice but to play me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you mentioned, sorry, you mentioned yeah. your uh, game day routine a little bit. Um, so what was your, you know, your hitting game time uh, routine like? Like, did you hit 50 balls off the tee before every game? And were there any, you know, did you have any superstitions that you have to have? Stuff like that. Well, and I'm probably more aware of these things now as a coach because I, I I'm analyzing my players' routines and trying to help them through that process. But you know, looking back on it, really your routine starts the the night before. So we would play a game, and then I always felt like if I you know got home, rehydrated, had a good meal, uh, did some of my physical therapy stuff, you know, that always led to just a really good feeling the next day. You felt better you know, waking up, but I always take like an ice bath and stuff. Cause you're, you know, it's a long season. You're playing 150 games a year, roughly. Uh, so, so it was always the night before where the routine kind of started for the next day. And then, you know, we, we had such great coaches and staff and, and facilities at our disposal. So, you know, I try to get to the field as early as I can start watching film on the pitcher that we were going to face that day. Um, get in the batting cage with my hitting coach, start, start getting through our, our drill work. You know, it's funny because you're doing basic stuff too. Like, it's not really mind blowing. It's T work. It's okay. Let's work on the high pitch off the T. Let's work on the inside pitch. Uh, let's work on the outside pitch. You're kind of checking those boxes. Um, you know, but I, I kind of had a couple drills that just made me feel right getting into the game. And then uh, for whatever reason, I, I would always have to have a peanut butter, honey, and banana sandwich before every game. Like, and I haven't, I don't think I've had one since, like I stopped playing in 2015. And I mean, I ate that thing every single day uh, for 12 years in pro ball. And I don't think I've had one since 2016. So, you know, that was just uh, for me, it was, it was that superstition that, okay, like now I can play a baseball game. I had, I had the, you know, I think they call it the Elvis, right? The, the peanut yeah. butter, yeah. 
and, well, it seems and, like you got sick of it after so long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but you'd be amazed, man. I mean, baseball players will make a superstition out of everything. I mean, it's like, oh, I got to hit that at bat. And, you know, I tapped my right cleat twice with my bat. I got to do that now forever, you know. Um, so I think it's part of the psyche of just you know, finding a reason why you're going to end up being successful. Like, and it's, that's part of the trick, you know, as a player to, to have confidence, it's, it's instead of looking at what could go wrong to derail me here, like I'm going to find a reason it might be the Elvis sandwich, right? It, it might be watching film. It might be this drill, you know, that, that now I have a reason why I'm going to be successful today. So when you can go into a game with that, that perspective, I, I think it relaxes you a little bit more. Definitely. Definitely. So I, I remember having your mom as a teacher and her always telling me. Oh, nice. You survived. You survived. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And her always you know, telling stories about you. And one question I always wanted to ask you was, how much of a transition was it going from like the minor leagues into like a major league game? Like how different was the, the atmosphere and everything like that? That's a great question. It's funny too, because I always tell people when they want to know why I'm so crazy is because I had her for every grade. You know what I mean? Like, I thought, <laughs> yeah. like, man, I had her for a year. That was pretty tough. I was like, yeah, dude, I had her every grade. <laughs> she's still, she still, she still is on me today. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so there's a ton of adrenaline and a ton of emotion uh, that's behind it. I could still remember my first few at bats. I was really lucky. My first trip up, I, I, I played against the Red Sox. I was with the Rays. I was at Fenway Park. And, uh, and then I had my first hit a couple nights later in Yankee stadium. And, you know, it, it really is, it's just, it's just this euphoric high, you know, it took me six years in the minor leagues to get there. I never thought I was going to get there. Um, so it, it's an incredible feeling like all your aches and pains that you had from that season seem to go away. Um, but when you strip away, like, like the emotion behind it and the intensity of the situation, I actually found I better I felt like I was more confident in the big leagues for a couple reasons so one the lighting in the stadium is way better so (laughs) you're playing in some minor league parks where twilight rolls in at night and it's like oh man that one at bat it's like I can't I can't see the ball uh so the big leagues it's like you could be playing at eight o'clock at night and it feels like you're in the middle of the day um the umpires the zones are tighter the big league zone is tighter than the minor league zone and I felt like pitchers have more control. So I'm not saying that it was easier to hit in the big leagues, but because I think that's what great players in the big leagues do is they control those emotions. Um, I don't know if I ever really figured that part out, just, just the emotional roller coaster of the ups and downs. But, you know, from a technical standpoint, I felt like I was in a better position to hit in the big leagues just because of those, of those variables that just weren't in the minor leagues. You know, you face some kid in the minor leagues that was a prospect that is throwing 98 and like, one pitch would go over your head and then the next pitch would be on the corner. And you're, you're like, what, what, where the heck is the next one going to be? I, I could get drilled in the ribs here or, or I got to hit a ball, you know, be ready to hit. So I just felt like the guys in the big leagues, while their stuff was better, they were in the zone more consistently. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know me and Christian before this started, we were talking about, you know, how minor league baseball and that kind of stuff works. And cause he's a huge football fan. I'm a huge baseball fan. Nice. So, you know, we're, we're, we're watching football the other day and he goes, you know, what's crazy is that, you know, people who are drafted out of football, they go straight into the NFL yeah. and baseball, you know, they have to work their way up the system. And I was telling him that each team has triple a double a high a low a, and you know, there's a lot of players obviously in each yeah. level of that system. 
And a lot of players never end up getting there. So what really, for you, got you to that next level? I know you were talking about that chip on your shoulder being a 30th round draft pick. Was that like a huge motivating factor that you said, you know what, I'm better than this 30th, 30 over 30 round draft pick. I'm going to get there. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I'd be lying to you if I said that there was some luck behind it, too. I think some of it is right place, right time. There's some guys that I played with that were excellent players that, you know, you know, maybe um, a guy like Mike Trout was the was the center fielder in front of you in the big leagues. And no matter what you did, that door was going to be closed. So you're almost hoping that another team notices you and maybe you get traded or or you ask for your release and you get picked up somewhere else. So so some of it you know, and there's injuries, there's the injury factor as well. You got to make sure you're staying healthy. For me, mentally, I felt like once I got to double A and had some success, I felt like I could get to the big leagues, because that's where you do start seeing major league caliber arms. Um, but I, I think I think for me, a lot of it had to do with my faith, like I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, you know, in, in those dark times where you're clawing your way through through a ball, and, and you don't know what's going on. I mean, you have to have some grounding faith, that whatever is going to happen, you're, you're in a good place, um, you know, with, with the outlook of your life. And, you know, I think I learned quickly to let things go and where, where guys struggle with that in the minor leagues where, you know, they'd have a bad game and it would just be with them for like four or five games. So once I, once I learned to let go of, you know, being result oriented, like, Hey, I got a hit, so I'm good. Or I didn't get a hit. So I'm bad. Um, I felt like I was much more successful because you're, you're, you're tuning it more into the process, especially from a hitting standpoint. I mean, getting a good pitch to hit, hitting the ball in the barrel, to me, that determines a successful at bat. So you could be 0 for 3, but feel really good with where you're at with your approach. And I think that's going to, over the course of the season, we would always say, avoid the 0 fors you know, like avoid the 0 for 4s, try to find a way to go 1 for 4 and and kind of piggyback off of that and maybe have a better day the next day. So, you know, you're, you're kind of being forced to, to learn those things at a, at a quick pace. But yeah, I mean, I had, like I said, I definitely had a chip on my shoulder. You know, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to know that whatever happened at the end of my career, whether I made it to the big leagues or not, I know that I squeezed every ounce of my ability and my time in the game and whatever happened, I would be okay with. I hear you. I hear you. One question I have is, can you like tell us what it felt like just hitting your first home run? Like now, I remember being in little league and hitting mine. Like it was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what league did you play in? Where, where did you play? I played for Valley West. Oh, you were Valley West guy. Nice. That was Valley East, That's so my that was league. Right. I know you're, I know you're an East guy. Yeah. I'm a West yeah. guy. Too. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, it It's shoot. I mean, you guys know it's, there's something special about it, especially when it happens to you as a young kid. Um, you know, I could go back and I, I hit a home run. I remember when I was 10 years old and in, in a little league game, and I think I was on second base before I realized that it, that it had gone out. Um, you know, there, there's something really spiritual and almost like poetic about it, that, that feeling you get when the ball hits the sweet spot of the barrel, uh, especially when, when you're using a wood bat and that crack of the bat sound, I mean, I think that's why people are so obsessed with the game because whether you played in professional baseball or not, we all, it's part of like your rite of passage almost in this country to play baseball at some, at some level. So we can all relate because it's that feeling that we get as an athlete. It's the sensation of the ball in the barrel or you're playing basketball and it's, it's nothing but net and it's the swish. That's what we start chasing. Why we, why we keep coming back, right? Like, man, that was a great feeling. Like 
what do I have to do to get that again? And I'm going to work for that. And I want to experience that again and again and again. So, yeah, I mean, I can remember, you know, getting that sensation as a young kid and just, just getting hooked to it. But, um, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's not many feelings, I think, especially in athletics that, that compare to what you're talking about, that, that sweet spot and, and seeing the ball rise in the air. I mean, um, it's just great feeling, great feeling. And I was looking up clips of your playing career and I ended up seeing, you know, I was looking, I'm like, all right, let me see if there's a clip of him, you know, hitting a bomb off of somebody. And let me see if I know who the pitcher was. The first video that comes up, it's off Chris, Chris Sale. Yeah. yeah. You guys don't know who Chris Sale is. Chris Sale is one of the filthiest pitchers in the MLB today. And, you know, it's one of those things where like, how do you go up and face a guy like that? I know he was like a rookie back then, but like, what was it like facing those major league caliber players, like pitchers? And, you know, was there any major league pitcher that just owned you like throughout your career? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great point. I mean, so I'll tell you the guy who owned me, I had three career bats against him and struck out three times was Clayton Kershaw. And, you know, I was, uh, man, I, and, and my specialty was lefties. I always hit lefties really well. That was kind of my calling card and I just could not figure him out. I mean, I can remember, you know, he had that, that big breaking like 65 mile an hour curveball That was a true 12, six. And I remember he struck me out on one and I swear I, I could still go back and see the at bat. I thought when he let it go, I thought it slipped and it was going like three rows up and it was a fastball. And I just like quit on it. I start looking up and then it drops down in the zone. And I was like, holy crap, that was nasty. So, uh, so he was really tough, you know, and I could even go back to that, that night against sale. Um, you know, he's throwing 97, 98 from the left side and it's, and it's basically he's throwing from almost down by his hip. So there's a ton of movement on it. My first at bat, I remember thinking like his slider is so nasty. I don't want to even think about the slider. Like he could just keep throwing it. I'm going to take it. I'll take three strikes before I swing at it. So first pitch of my first at bat, I jump on a fastball. I actually hit a line drive down to third and Kevin Euclid makes a great leaping catch. So I remember this is like the wrestling point with hitters. I was like, man, I missed like that was my shot. I jumped the fastball. He's going to just keep throwing me breaking balls. So I'm in the on-deck circle leading up to my next at-bat. I'm like, do I look breaking ball? And I'm like, no, you idiot. Look fastball. Don't look breaking ball. I'm like, yeah, but he's going to – I already jumped on There's no way he's going to throw me another first pitch fastball. I was all over it. And then I just remember getting in the box and being like, just look for the fastball. The next at-bat was a first pitch fastball, and I hit the home run. And I remember, like, almost giggling to myself around first. I was like, wow, I'm really glad I didn't look for the slider, you know? (laughs) Um, So it's just – it's crazy because when you face guys like that, you know, you, you can't miss your pitch. That's what everyone talks about is those, those top line ACE pitchers, they're going to make mistakes, but they're not making many. And and you have to be prepared to take advantage when they do make a mistake or they're going to get you. Mm-hmm. And I know we've, we've talked about this a lot of the time of, throughout the, a lot of this interview, but we were talking about that psyche and that mental block in, mm-hmm. you know, in baseball in general. So what is it like going 0 for 4 one game, going 0 for 3 the next game, and then thinking, okay, I got to snap out of this slump? Because what most people don't know about baseball is people think like, yeah, it's a really hard sport. But, you know, if you're hitting three times out of 10, that's an amazing hitter. Yeah. You're <laughs> so awesome. yeah. what is it like trying to keep that in mind and not and realizing, you know, even though I'm not hitting every single at bat, you know, I'm still a good player. I need to keep this up and try to break out of that mental block. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is the challenge right there. I mean, it, it, it is not easy. I would be lying to you if I told you I always had it figured out. I'll tell you when I was at my best is when I wasn't so worried about the outcome. I mean, look at the numbers you just provided, like 
you almost go into the game knowing there's a better chance that you're going to fail today than you're going to be successful. So you're always looking for ways to, to value yourself. Like, man, I'm swinging at good pitches. That's good. Just keep doing that, man. I barreled the ball up today. Like, that's good. Keep doing that. Where a lot of the slumps come in is like when a guy, let's say he's 0 for 3, but he got in two hitters counts. He got a good pitch to hit. He barreled the ball up and he just missed it. Well, now, oh man, I'm 0 for 3. I don't like that. So I'm going to start making changes. Well, that's actually, that's when you get into those slumps. So, you know, and, and that's all part of learning where, where you just want to keep getting at bats, want to keep getting at bats and, and you kind of develop that maturity over time. And, and like I said, when I finally got to that point, I started to experience more consistent success. So you were on the road for a long time. Do you have any, you know, favorite stories of you know, just traveling? With <laughs> I don't know if we could say, I don't know if we could talk about them on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah. I mean, there's so many, I, I could remember, you know, long, long bus rides where, you know, we're on a 12 hour trip and, and, you know, the, the air conditioning goes out and it's like bull Durham and everyone's, you know, in the back of the bus sweating their tail off. And, you know, and some of the, some of the adventures, I mean, we pulled so many pranks, you know, in hotel rooms and messing with guys. And, um, I could actually remember one funny story. I'm in uh double a with the Cubs and we were in Birmingham, Alabama. And, uh, I don't know if you know, Dr. Andrews, he's Dr. James Andrews. He does all the Tommy John surgeries for, for pitchers. So he has his, his main practices in Birmingham, Alabama. So anytime a visiting team would come to Birmingham, they would invite players to go to his lab and, and I guess he's collecting data and trying to understand how, how players move better uh, and they'll pay you. So at the time I'm a broke minor leaguer and I'm like, yeah, I'll go. So, uh, <laughs> so I volunteer and three other of my roommates volunteer and they're like, okay, well, here's the catch though. Like you're basically going to only be wearing your sliding shorts and nothing else. They're going to put all these sensors over you. Like you're practically naked. So we're like, all right, whatever. So I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I got a pair of white sliding shorts. Well, unbeknownst to me, my my teammates, my friends, uh, took coffee grinds and like rubbed coffee grinds into the ass region of my sliding <laughs> shorts. So I wake up the next day, I go to the I go to the facility, I'm I like get dressed, I put my sliding shorts on, and I mean, dude there was, there was like young girls there that were interns, like, you know, whatever sports, sports orthopedics and stuff like that. And, you know, everyone's laughing their, their ass off. I'm like, you know, and I'm taking swings and my buddies are dying. I'm like, what is so funny? And then finally some, some guy, he was like, dude, listen, you got to change your sliding shorts, you know? And I looked down, I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, that wasn't me. You know, that wasn't me. So we had a good, good laugh on that one. They got me, they got me pretty good for that one. So yeah, you're just, you know, you're you're always trying to find ways to keep it light. I mean, baseball is such a sport of failure. And, you know, um, you know, I, I always felt like you can't take yourself too serious. Uh, we were always just trying to find ways to to have fun, you know, and 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 yeah, I built such good friendships. I still keep in touch with a lot of my uh, a lot of my former teammates. That's awesome. And I know you talked about, you know, being a broke minor leaguer. And a lot of people don't know that, you know, minor league players don't get paid that much in the grand scheme of things. Like I are hotel rooms paid for is travel play, paid for already? Like, what is that like? And yeah, everybody assumes that, you know, major league players, all oh, they make so much more than they actually deserve. They're, they're just playing baseball, <laughs> but they're not play, they're not getting paid that much in, in the grand scheme of things. So it is great. It, it is. I'll say now, I mean, it, it, it's certainly, you know, you get to the big leagues. I mean, it's great money. 
And I think then you're getting a ton of perks with that. I'm obviously endorsements are coming in and companies want to align their products with you. Uh, but it is definitely not like that in the minor leagues. I mean, you, you know, you are, you're eating peanut butter and jellies and, and trying to, you know, I would work a ton in the off season just to kind of have a pool of money to help me get through. Um, organizations will take care of your travel. They'll take care of hotels on the road. You'll get like a small stipend for meal money when you go on the road. Uh, but you know, your apartment at your home city is usually on you. So we would get a two bedroom apartment and try to pile six guys in there and just try to split the rent six ways. And, uh, but it's cool. I mean, I, I think that was part of the, you know, part of the struggle that we all were going through together and, and it, and it made, you know, it made your drive to want to get to the big leagues that much more. You know, I know there's, there's like a current group that is trying to, or they did successfully sue major league baseball to kind of unionize the minor leagues and make more money. And listen, they should pay them more. But my argument to a friend was like, man, if you're making that great of a salary or, or even just a better salary, are you going to be that much more driven to try to get out of there? You know? So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy life. It's a fun life. And um, you know, I, I had a blast and man, 13 years went really quick. Yeah. And, you know, is it super hard having like a family during like that kind of season? Because, you know, in baseball season, you're traveling a lot. So is yeah. it hard for, you know, your family if you're not there all the time, if certain players have kids at that time? You know, what is that like not being home like the majority yeah. of the year? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I always tell the story like so I was I was really single through most of my career. And then my wife and I met in 2011 and I was, you know, I was playing in triple A. Um, we had our, our first child in 2012 and, uh, you know, that was really like the first time I started experiencing that homesickness. Like I'm, I started missing a lot of stuff with my son and, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're having a lot of conversations through Skype or zoom. I'm trying to watch him. I think I saw his first steps through, through a Skype call, you know, so, so that starts to wear on you a little bit. Um, but thankfully, again, I, I think it's about, having the right support system, you know, my wife and my family were awesome. And, you know, I had great people that helped her out when I wasn't around, but no, it is, it is tough. You know, it is tough. Okay. So we just have one final question for, you know, talking about your playing career and then we'll switch over to coaching a little bit. Sure. So for your playing career, I just had one question. I was looking at your stats before we started it and you were, you were good. You were a good hitter. You, you had an overall average when you were in the major leagues of, you know, 271. You had 26 hits, three home runs. One I mentioned was off Chris Sale. You had an OBP of 304 and an on-base plus slugging of 700. And that's, for those of you guys who don't know, that's that's a good hitter. Like, if I had that on the Orioles right now, I'd be, because <laughs> I'm an Orioles fan. I know, um, yeah, yeah. But so why I, I was looking at these stats and I started to wonder, so what made you stop playing Major League Baseball? Because I know probably so many players, so many teams out there were hoping to get a 271 hitter on their team. So what was the defining moment where you ended up finishing your career? Yeah, you know, it's tough because, you, you know, like I said, I think it's a combination of a few things. I think, you know, I certainly I was a little disappointed in the way I finished out. I was actually I, I think I finished on like a one for 13 or one for 14 stretch to, to get down to 270. Like I was that September when I was with Cleveland, I was, I was like that and forth. I was, I was doing great, you know? Uh, and then I kind of fizzled out a little bit towards the end. Um, and then I got, I got traded from Cleveland. I bounced around a bunch. I was up and, you know, up, you know, I was back in AAA with, with some other organizations. So, you know, and I, I mean, that's part of what you hear is it's not so hard getting to the big leagues, it's, it's very difficult to stay. Uh, because again, you're, you're holding on to a position that thousands 
are, are clawing through the minor leagues to get to. So I think the biggest thing that hurt me from, from just a, a staying power standpoint was my defense. You know, I, I think, you know, I was with the Rays, right? The Rays at the time were, were more defensive oriented and they were willing to sacrifice some offense. If there was another player who brought more value defensively, um, you know, and then I started getting a little bit older and I think the game started to transition to the younger players. I mean, now you're not really seeing, I mean, when I first got into pro ball, it was like an unheard of for a guy 23 or 24 years old to get to the big leagues. They would always say, Hey, we have to develop them and make sure he gets at bats. Now teams are saying, man, take that 20 year old, throw him in the fire. You know, like, let's see, let's get him, let's get him a thousand at bats in the big leagues and let's, you know, see what he can do uh, and just, just, just get him going. So I think the game started to change a little bit uh, where, where they started transitioning to, to bringing up younger, younger prospects um, so yeah, I mean, I, I got, my last year was 2015 and, uh, you know, after the season I had finished, I had a, I had my first time ever in 13 years, I was on the disabled list. I strained my oblique. Uh, I came back and finished the last season out. And then my, my, my contract wasn't renewed. I actually started getting calls from organizations to, to become a manager or a hitting coach. And I just wasn't ready for that yet. I was like, man, I still want to play. So I, I respectfully declined those offers and, and uh, you know, started getting into coaching at the, at the local level. That's awesome. So what, what gave you that desire to start coaching and start, you know, helping kids out that are younger? Cause I remember being at whispering willows playing basketball and seeing you, you know, helping out kids that really want. To yeah. 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 I mean, I, you know, I think selfishly, it kept me in the game and I, and I, you know, I certainly missed the playing side of the game. So it kind of, it kind of scratched that competitive itch for me, um, you know, and then from, from a standpoint, from a coaching side for the benefit of the players, I mean, I was lucky. I had so many people that helped me in my corner, you know, so it was a little bit of a pay it forward thing where I was like, man, if I could take some of the things that I learned in professional baseball, bring them back to our area and help, you know, as we mentioned earlier, th those raw players that maybe don't have the know-how or the skill set yet, like if I can speed up that learning curve a little bit and bring some of that stuff I learned in pro ball, like that'd be awesome, you know? Uh, so, so, and then, and then quickly I, I realized like, you know, I wasn't planning on staying in coaching for that long and I, and I got hooked. Like I, I love coaching. I, you know, it's not playing. It's a very, very close second though. It really is like when you can, have that breakthrough with a player or a team. And when you can get a team to click or they buy into your, to your culture uh, or your philosophies, or you, you maybe make an adjustment with a player and you see their success. It, it almost is like that feeling we talked about, you know, you as a player hitting the ball in the sweet spot, you know? Uh, so, so it's a different set of challenges, but I, I love it. And right now you're the coach at Hazleton area high school. You're the main baseball coach there. And I know a lot of those players, some of them are ended up getting, you know, D one offers and that kind of yeah. stuff. So what is it like, you know, playing at such a high level and then coaching kids who you can see potential in playing at a high level? What is that process like? Do you sort of see yourself in them and do you sort of really try to focus in on them because you see so much potential in them? Like, what is that like coaching? Yeah, you know, it's 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 an awesome feeling. You know, it is it is a challenge. I think um, I, I fully admit, like the kids today are way more polished than we were. I think there's more resources for them. I think the baseball strength and conditioning has come a long way. So kids are training, you know, closer to 12 months out of the year. Uh, so, so I'm getting a lot of kids in high school that are, are way advanced mechanically, you know, physically. So I, I try to focus more on 
the mental side of the game. That's where I think I could really help players is, hey, you know, use my experiences to your advantage. Here's here's what I struggled with. Here's how, you know, this helped me with making a mental adjustment because they are still young and they're immature from that respect where they're trying to, you know, kind of find their way and, and develop their their mental, you know, plan or approach. Uh, so that's what I really enjoyed helping with those guys. And, uh, and, and thankfully, I think a lot of them, you know, have given me their, their ear and, 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 and listened. And experiences are huge. I mean, through baseball and just in life in general, if you can have somebody who has been through what you have already gone through, I mean, that's huge. That's like, that's the number one thing you could look for in somebody who you can try to, you know, model to try to get to the next level. I think that's why I try to, you know, I try to build the trust with them. Like, look, you know, I've, I've succeeded and I failed at the highest level, man. Like I've, whatever you're going through, I've gone through it. You know, let's talk about it. Let's figure out how to get you on the right track or let's, Hey, keep you going with what you're doing right now. Uh, so, you know, as, as the years have gone on, I've, I don't want to say that I've spent less time with the physical things, but th that's a lot of what the conversations are. I mean, I'm learning as a coach, you really are more of a, a psychologist or a therapist and, and the theme or the topic that we just happened to be meeting on is baseball but you're, you're trying to have these, you know, mental breakthroughs with, with young men and just, just help them become the best, best versions of themselves. Definitely. Definitely. So do you work a little differently? Cause like you said, you're a coach, do you work a little differently with kids who play travel ball compared to ones who are, you know, maybe doing it more for the fun side of things? Um, you know, I, what I do with each player is we, we lay it out for the high school program is, you know, I have them, prepare for me, I say, okay, I want to know your one, three and five year goals for baseball and for yourself. So you're going to get a, a variety of answers, right? You're going to get kids that say, Hey, in a year, I want to be uh, an all conference player in high school in three years, I want to be playing division one baseball and working towards my degree in business, right? In five years, some kids might say, I want to be a professional baseball player. Some kids might say, I want to be on my way to my master's or, or, you know, starting my own business, right? So so I look at it from, from a standpoint of a coach, like I'm responsible for holding you accountable for your goals. So, you know, part of the great thing with this game is even if your goals aren't, you know, as lofty as playing college baseball or professional baseball, if you're going to be a guy who runs your business, or you're going to be a guy who wants to get his master's degree, all the things that we're going to teach you in the baseball program about time management, about discipline, about being a team player, about handling failure, like all of those are going to be applicable to whatever, whatever course you choose in your life. So, so, you know, there's definitely guys, I think that you can push differently. Like there's some guys that you got to put your hand around them and just say, Hey buddy, it's going to be fine. You know, and there's some guys that you got to jump them a little bit because that's, that's just how they're motivated. So I probably spent a little more time trying to figure out that part, you know, uh, but, but regardless of their goals in the game, I, I just want what your, what their goals all are. I'm going to do everything I can to get you there. So you mentioned about those plans in the future. So do you have any plans about, you know, jumping up to the next level too? Do you have a plan in the future of potentially going to coach college baseball or going to coach maybe in the major leagues? Do you think that opportunity might come back around? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a good question. And actually one I, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about, I mean, um, you know, it's, it's nice for me because my wife and I, we have six, six kids. So my kids are young, you know, I have a, a young boy who's, you know, he's, he's coming up, he's playing literally right now. And I have three other boys that are coming up. My daughter, my oldest is in ninth grade and, and my youngest girl's a seven-year-old in, in second grade. So, 
you know, the one positive thing for me when my playing career ended was I knew I was going to spend more time with my family. I mean, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that, that was getting hard on me later in my career that I was missing so much. So, you know, the nice thing about coaching high school is that I can kind of have best of both worlds, right? Like I get to run my program, I get to coach the way I want to coach. Uh, and then I get to come home and have dinner with my kids. So, you know, I, I but that's still there, like that desire, you know, I, I know some, some friends of mine that are, that are making their way through uh, the coaching ranks in professional baseball. So I think if I would were to do it, I'd probably hold off a little bit until, you know, my kids get, get a little bit older and I could be with them as much as I can. I hear you. I hear you. I think that's awesome. So one big question I have is, you know, if there's any kids that are afraid to, you know, maybe try to, progress their way up in baseball like is there anything you could say to those kids yeah I mean I, I think the one thing I try to explain to these kids is you know regardless of how people present themselves myself included we all have fears anxieties self-doubts insecurities you know I mean I, I can't tell you how many times I played professional baseball and I would go up there and I'm a professional getting paid to do it and I'm afraid to get hit by the pitch like <laughs> it's real, man. We're human beings, you know? So I think we all try to build up this suit of armor, you know, that, that we, we make ourselves look invincible and we want to present ourselves in the best way. But I think the best thing you can do as a player or a, or a prospective player that's interested in playing is courageously go out and try to make mistakes. You know, I, I think one of the healthiest things for everyone is to fail. Like, you know, I I've learned so much more about myself as a player and as a coach by you know, being embarrassed on the field and, 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 you know, looking stupid as a coach, right? Like it, it, it really, really has helped me. So it's like one of those things that we try to prote protect ourselves from and run from, but for a young player, like I would almost say, listen, just, just go out and make aggressive mistakes, get out there, get yourself back up. You know, I think sometimes they get out there and they, they want to see immediate success you set a goal for, for getting 1% better every time you practice, you know, maybe you can't catch right now. Maybe you're not great swinging the bat, but you know, get a little bit better. Um, every single day, you're going to see those improvements over, over the long run. Um, you know, and I think for young kids in our area, like playing little league baseball is great. You know, I think that's where you mentioned your experiences. Like I know my experiences, that's where it's fun. That's where it should be fun, you know, and, and just enjoy that. And, and if you feel like you're getting better, keep going with it, you know, keep going with it. Definitely. And like you mentioned about, you know, just having fun. I feel like so many people nowadays and so many kids nowadays are really trying to focus on the major league so much. They forget that it's a game and, you know, yeah. you have parents tell I've, you know, I coach baseball. Now I work up at a, you know, an indoor facility. Nice. And, you know, I have, I have, parents in there yelling at kids that are like five years old about, yeah. you know, you got to do better. You got to do better. And I'm sitting there like, it's a game. Like at this point, just have fun. I mean, yes, you want to improve. And if you have those goals, go out and achieve it. But I feel like the industry right now is so focused on, you know, I'm going to get my five-year-old playing so much that they're going to get to the major leagues when, you know, at the end of the day, if that kid ends up having that mindset, they're not really going to have fun and they're not really going to have that motivation. So like, what is that, man. What is that yeah. thought for you? Listen, that that's you, you just, you're pulling on my heartstrings here, man. Cause, cause <laughs> I'm in it, right? Like I have, I have the high school perspective. I run a travel organization, but I'm also, I'm on the board at a little league. Right. And I, and I have a kid in little league and I'm very active with our little league program. So I see all sides of it. 
And you're hundred percent right. I think it goes to, you know, what I mentioned with insecurities, right? Like, listen, I'm guilty of it. I mean, my boy's 10 now. And when he was five, I, I would be lying. Like I was that guy. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I saw potential in him, and I was like, man, he's going to be better than me and he's going to have a better career than me. And you get super excited and, you know, uh, and I probably did more damage early on in his career. And I finally had to really do a good hard look in the mirror and say, you know, if, if he's going to be successful in this, it has to be his thing. And that's the mistake that a lot of parents make is they want it to be their thing. Right. And they mean, well, you know, but but the only way it's going to be a long lasting, successful career is if for, it's got to be their thing and they have to love it. If you hate it when you're young, you're not going to like it anymore when you're 14 <laughs> and you start thinking you can make your own decisions. Right. Like, you know, so so you try to encourage parents as much as you can enjoy them while they're young. Let them have fun. Let them make mistakes. You will know like. There's some kids you'll know when I have my clinics and stuff, you just watch them and they're, and they're eight years old and they're super, you know, focused and serious. And it's like, okay, well, you know, that, that kid, you know, maybe that's something in his future. Um, and maybe if you're not a, you know, you're eight years old at the time and you're not like that, that's okay. Everyone changes, you know, you might be really serious about it when you're, when you're 13 or 14. So, uh, but you're right, man, it has to be, it has to be fun. It's, it's, you know, that's the health and longevity of our game too. I think, a lot of kids are getting pushed out because of the super seriousness of the, of the young baseball players now. Um, you know, so uh, I, I hope, I hope we could, we can learn just from each other through those experiences of just saying, Hey, look, like keep it fun for the kids, you know um, let them play, you know, let them come to you with it. That's, that's like I said, my dad was a football player. I mean, thankfully for me, he never tried to shove football down my throat, you know, like I never wanted to play football. I, I wasn't crazy about it. I loved baseball. So he made baseball his thing because, you know, because I was into it. So, but that's, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause you know, I'm like I say, I wrestle with that quite a bit today. Mm -hmm. I hear One final question we have for you is, cause you said you played basketball as well. Mm -hmm. um, do you think baseball is the hardest sport to play professionally? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is because of the mental side of it, you know, um, you you have, and at bat and you strike out you're you're sitting in the dugout for 30 minutes until the next time comes or maybe even more until your next at bat you know whereas and i love basketball but like man you miss a shot you can go run down the court play great defense get a rebound and like that bad shot has immediately gone away you know what i mean there's just the time in between you know same thing you, you make a you make an error at third base and uh you might not have another ball hit to you for four innings and you're just sitting there like trying to forget about that air, you know? So it's the skill side of it. I don't, I think, you know, certainly basketball, you know, different breed of athletes, football, different breed of athletes, you know, baseball has come a long way from that perspective, but just the challenges mentally, I think are unique, unique to the game. Yeah. And I, I argue with people all the time about this exact same point that baseball is the hardest sport. And, you know, I always get back to the point, you know, in basketball, like you mentioned, there is situations in basketball where you could do the exact same thing and know that, you know, you're going to succeed when you're on the yeah. throw line, you can just let your muscle movements just, you know, do go naturally. And, you know, Steph Curry, when he's up on the three point, the free, the free throw line, there we go. When yeah. he's on the free throw line, you know, he's doing the same exact thing. Nobody's bothering him and he's just doing his thing. But, you know, in baseball, there's not really a situation like that. You're constantly going up against, you know, 
somebody. You could do yeah. you could put the perfect swing on the ball, but if you're facing a Clayton Kershaw curveball, then there's not much you might be able to do about it. So yeah. <laughs> they always go back and forth with people on that. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I mean, I think from the perspective of getting opportunities now, like the interesting thing with baseball is, you know, it's obviously it's a five tool sport, right? You know, and, and truthfully, I, I'm a good example. You know, I was probably a one and a half tool guy. Like, you know, I was a good enough athlete, but my my tool was hitting, you know, and I got an opportunity to play professional baseball because I have one tool. You know, there's guys that get an opportunity to play at least division one college baseball or professionally because maybe they just throw very hard, you know. So I think there's probably more opportunities to to get there, but I just think it's just such a harder game, you know, overall for for just like I mentioned, that's that staying power. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty wild, man. It's, it's such a, such a psychological, you know, game with yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, that, that's all the questions that we had for you today. Um, you know, we thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast and, you know, we really enjoyed all the conversations that we had. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure guys. I'd I love to do it again sometime. Definitely. We'll have to have a, we'll have to have a part two eventually. I Absolutely. like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks boys. Yeah. Thank no you, problem, man. All right. Take care guys. You too. Thank you. See ya.